0: Well, if you've been here the last few weeks, you know we are doing a study uh, on the case for creation. And we've been looking at different things uh, to kind of help us understand how we can prove creation from the Bible happened. How we can kind of say, this is true, this is, this is, uh, this is what really took place. We looked at uh, the biblical case, of course, and and of course, there's people that deny the Bible, deny the word of God is in the Bible, deny the truth of the word, but we, we as Christians believe, right? We understand this to be the true will of God revealed to us through his son, the word, as John said in chapter one, that came to be in the flesh and dwelt among men. We understand that to be the truth, the absolute truth, the word of God, his divine will, and we read many, many verses that talked about how he is the creator of the universe. How he created uh, heaven and earth and all things within, all living things, all things in our universe that we can observe or, or through our five senses experience as known to us today. And we look at the philosophical case and how, how things uh, we can just see by the beauty of nature, if nothing else, right? That, that someone, some supreme being, had to create this, right? We, it couldn't have just happened naturally. I mean, it, it, when we think, see things, just let things go naturally, right? Do they tend to just become beautiful? No. You, you have, a, if you have a garden, what happens if you don't tend to it? You know, it, it kind of deteriorates, doesn't it? it gets weedy, uh, nasty-looking stuff gets grown up in there, right? Then you get the little critters running around in there eating it up. Yeah, it's not nice. We can see simply by looking at nature that some greater thing, greater person or being than us had to be involved with that. And then we looked at the scientific case last week, not so much from scripture, but from the way things have been seen in science, the way the evidence that we've received, uh, minuscule things like how m- cells are made up, how the DNA works within the nucleus of the cell and greater things, simply by natural things that we see that can't be explained, right? That can't be explained through evolution or other things that scientists and others try to do today. So today, we're gonna look at another aspect of that. We're gonna look at the historical case for creation. We're gonna look at some things in history that we might be able to glean and use to explain or to show that creation is true, that God created the heavens and the earth. We're going to examine the historical case. Particularly, we're going to get to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because we've talked about that in the past, right? How that is truly the kicker of the gospel, right? We we preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, but if that's all we said, he's just a guy that died, right? It's that resurrection from the dead that really and truly motivates us, that really and truly makes the gospel. The, the great motivator that it is, the great good news. And then we're gonna consider the implication of this resurrection toward the issue of creation, right? I've Got a lot to go through here. One, we're gonna begin with the historical evidence for that resurrection. In fact, the historicity or the fact that Jesus actually lived, right? Now, if you go on the internet, you can find people that say, Jesus never actually lived. He didn't really exist. I, I, it's pretty easy to find it, right? In fact, I, I maybe a couple months ago, I was sitting there in the house looking through, looking on my phone one day, and there was this article popped up, and I can't remember how I got to it, and it talked about these people probably never existed, and there's a big picture of Jesus right there on it. And I thought, what? So I went and looked at it, and It's mentioned just mentioning all these famous people from history that scholars were saying, well, they just were made up, and Jesus was right there at the top. And I'm going, how in the world? When we know, if you read Acts, he, he appeared to 500 people after his death. That's amazing. The, the eyewitnesses that we have in the scripture that talk about seeing Jesus and being with him. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. <clears throat> One of the most ignorant and prejudiced skeptics, would ha- they would have to be that way, right? To say that Jesus never lived. Because unbiased sources... Attest to that fact not just the Bible. Did you know that there are other sources out there that you can read about who most? Historians and most scholars say actually did live and actually did write about history, right? You have some Roman historians Tacitus around 112 AD Wrote in his annals mentioned Jesus Christ this Jewish man You have Pliny the younger you might have heard that name and you probably studied that in your history and in the world history in high school, right? On 112 AD in his letter to Trajan. You have Suetonius, a court official under Hadrian in 120 AD mentions Jesus Christ. And then you have Jewish sources that talk about him, right? You've probably heard of Josephus, right? Flavius Josephus, Jewish historian who was probably born just after Jesus' crucifixion, but was alive and would have been around to talk perhaps with the apostles, talk with disciples who knew Jesus personally. And he wrote about him, not necessarily stating that he was the son of God, not necessarily believing that he was God, but that he did live and was a man in the flesh. Then you have the Talmud. These are books of Jewish law, right? The Talmud speak of Jesus frequently, not necessarily that he was the son of God, but that he did exist. So you have other examples besides just scripture. You have a Samaritan uh, historian, Thallus. 52 AD lived then, tried to explain the darkness of the crucifixion. You remember when Jesus was crucified, what happened, right? The earthquake, there were dead people raised up walking around, and it got dark. Remember that? And you remember the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom? All these things happened on that day. And here we have someone who's trying to explain how that happened, right? How it came dark. So obviously, People knew about that, right? People experienced it during that time. It must have actually happened. In fact, so overwhelming is the evidence that even atheistic historians have to admit that Jesus lived, that he was a real man, that he lived during the time that we read about. And one is obliged to say he, he is a man. Here's a man. This is part of the tale that cannot have been uh, invented. This is from an outline of history written by H. D. Wells. Another. Uh, author Will Durant spent two chapters on Jesus' book in the story of our civilization. World history stuff, right? Talked about him. It's pretty much a fact that Jesus lived as a person in history. And it's interesting how you can study history and most secular people that you read about going back that far, nobody denies that they lived. Nobody questions it. If you just have a few sources, you just have to have a few sources, right, to prove it. And they say, yeah, that person existed. Jesus lived as a person of history, it's a fact. Well, how else can we see things in history about the truth, about the scripture? Well, we have the reliability of the New Testament, okay? You say, well, okay, so these guys wrote some stuff. Uh, You know, people write stuff all the time that's not true. Right? Just read a newspaper. Yeah, you read a newspaper and then tell me how much of that's really true. Or read two different newspapers and see a count over here and it's completely opposite of this one in this newspaper. Right, yeah, that happens. But in the New Testament, the authors claim to rewriting as historians. Luke wrote over uh, about a third of the New Testament in and, and his Gospel of Luke and then Acts, right? Turn over to Luke chapter two. Let's read a few things that he he wrote down here. Luke chapter 2, and let's just begin in verse 1. And I want you to just just pay attention to how it's written. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Now think about those verses right there. He's just telling what was going on an historical account of things that were taking place at that time, all right? Joseph also went up from Galilee, Galilee, not out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, to the city of David, which is also called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So Luke's writing is a historian. He's simply stating what's going on, stating the facts, right? Turn over to Acts chapter one. Let's read how he wrote there Acts chapter 1 and let's just begin in verse 1 the former account I made O Theophilus of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he also presented himself alive after suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God he's simply stating what happened the apostles appeared uh, where Jesus 40 days after his death before his ascension he's just telling you what happened he didn't have an agenda he didn't have a, a bent toward conservatism or liberalism he's just stating the facts he's reporting He's a historian. Turn over to John. Let's read what John had to say. John chapter 20. And actually, this is a very, should be a very familiar passage to you because we read it while we were studying John. Every Sunday we studied John. John chapter 20 and verse 30. See what John said. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now John's saying there, I didn't write everything down. I could have. I'm just telling you the facts, man. So you can believe. You go to a court of law, what do people do? They testify to the facts, right? Under oath. They're basically historians when you think about it, right? Someone who's accounting something that happened in the past. They're historians, just like John. Look at chapter uh, uh, 21 there, verse 24. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. He's an historian. He's simply writing down the facts man He's just given the facts and first John, I'm not gonna read it but he talked about how he was an eyewitness to these facts how he was actually there and so if he was in a court law court of law he could be on the stand saying the same thing right he could be testifying to that fact you also have the account of the other Apostles Paul the Jewish rabbi half the books in the New Testament are his personal letters. Let's look at 1 Corinthians and see something he says there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 3. He says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and he arose again the third day according to the scripture. And he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. He's testifying here. He's telling you, Jesus was among men, of whom the greater part remained to the present. They're still alive. They can tell you. But some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. And then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by, as by one born out of due time. So he claims to be an eyewitness and he tell he's telling the Corinthians and there were a whole lot of other folks who saw him too and they're still around to tell you about it as a historical document <coughs> the New Testament is remarkable okay it's absolutely remarkable all these things were written soon after the events occurred within about eh, 40 years you could say that all this historical event this uh, the historical Writings were between 40 and about 80 A.D. Brother Copeland mentioned someone, he he, uh, quotes someone here that says that's when they were in, I would disagree on Revelation. I think Revelation was more around 95, 96 A.D. Not going to get into that today. But these things were written down very soon after they happened. Very reliable. (laughs) If you look at other accounts, other historical accounts, it's not even that close. It's not even that contrite. In the time between uh, the, the originals and the earliest copies of the New Testament, there are fragments that exist uh, that were written between 50 and 100 years and complete copies that are written between 300 and 400 years after the originals. Still had them around. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> Compare that with other manuscripts. The history of Thucydides. I'm saying this right, through cities, a great 1,300 years between manuscripts, history of uh, Herodotus 1,350 years, Caesar's Gallic Wars 950 years, a Roman history of Levi, 350 years, history of Tacitus 750 years, the Annals of Tacitus 950 years, and you have these different ages and so forth. Yet you can look at the manuscripts of the New Testament and the differences are minuscule. In fact, it's probably less than half of 1% the differences you can see in those manuscripts. And you can compare that to like the Iliad, which we all studied in high school, right? You probably had to read it or you read the Cliffs Notes, anyways, right? <clears throat> 5%, most would say that at least 5% of that is completely contradictory in the manuscripts they have of it. It can be stated that no fundamental doctrine in Christian faith rests on a disputed reading. Now, you do have a few differences here and there that you can see in the manuscripts, but nothing when it comes to doctrine is disputed because of that. Now, I, I, we can have a whole study. We've had a, we've had studies on on uh, you know the, the manuscripts, how we got them, the different uh, things that we can prove out through those manuscripts that we have, uh, the Septuagint, all that stuff. It's a great study, and if you, ever have a chance, if you haven't ever had a chance to do that, I would advise you to do that. It would help you tremendously in your faith and in the defense of your faith, whenever you might need to do that. <coughs> the manuscripts have been maintained, all right? The evidence of one New Testament writing is even so much greater than the evidence of many writings of classified authors, it's amazing. <coughs> Yet, it's interesting, though, that most scholars will accept the writings of a classical author with that much more discrepancy than they'll accept the Bible or the writings of the New Testament. The reliability of the New Testament's historical doctrine is very strong. You say, well, okay, I, I, I can see that, but I'm not sure that, what's that got to do with creation or proving my faith? Well, let's look at another thing. Think about those apostles, that testimony that they had, a demonstration By nature of their testimony their testimony appealed to the evidence that they witnessed right the empirical evidence okay that evidence was derived from experiment and observation not from theory remember we talked about evolution being a theory it's never been observed to actually happen the way they say it should have happened oh yeah you, you have some things that change within a class of animals Right? A family of animals, but they've never seen that cross over. It's never happened like evolutionists believe it had to have done. These apostles observed and experimented things and experienced things straight from the mouth of the Savior. They had it firsthand. For 40 days, they were given infallible proofs. We read that in Acts 1. Acts ten forty one. they ate and drank with Jesus. John 20 says they saw, heard, and touched him. Okay. There's no way they could have been deluded or insane, right? That many guys, that many people. If all they had were individual visions or dreams or hallucinations, perhaps. Maybe they're just, you know, eating too many mushrooms or something. I don't know. But they testified that Jesus appeared to them in groups as well as individuals. I just said to 500 people. Paul talked about it 500 people once. Do you think all 500 people saw a hallucination? Those things are very individualistic, right? We know there are visions. We have dreams. Have you ever had a dream that 500 people saw the same thing? No, of course not. Not only that, it can be demonstrated by their transformation. And we've talked about this. Turn over to Mark chapter 14. <clears throat> and let's look and see what's, what it says in the gospel there. Mark chapter 14, and let's see about verse uh, 50. All right. Actually, let's start, let's start with the, uh, 43. <clears throat> 14, 43. And immediately... While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given him a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. And then they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew a sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus says, answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. And then they all forsook him. Wait a minute. What did I say there? Then they all forsook him and fled. Huh? Here we have the disciples with Jesus and following him for three years seeing all the healings, the signs, the wonders, the raising people from the dead. And then the Romans come and take them. What do they do? They skedaddle. They don't seem like such brave men to me, right? They don't seem like such cool guys. Look at verse 66, what Peter did. Now, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and when he saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, "You also are with Jesus Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, "I neither know nor understand what you are saying." And he went out on the porch, and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again, and began to say to those who stood by, "This is one of them." But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, "Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean." And your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear. His speech really showed it then, didn't it? I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. These don't sound like some great, brave guys to me. But then, something happened, right? After his death, these disciples were very sad. After his death, the disciples actually were behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. Talking about, what do we do? We're all going to be killed. We're all going to be imprisoned. We don't want that. But then something happened, right? Turn over to Luke 24. Luke 24, verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him... And returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Wow! They had just fled. Now they're in the temple preaching Jesus. What happened? Why is that? Resurrection. Something happened in between there and there. The resurrection these guys were transformed there's such a great transformation that you had these simple dudes who are cursing denying God, denying Christ and all of a sudden now they're preaching him think about that a minute what if you were there, have you ever put yourself in their shoes at that time? Have you ever thought about that? they saw him raised from the dead that is powerful we can't see him in the flesh. No, we can read about it. We can understand what these guys did and the lives that they led after that, right? They became the greatest, most powerful missionary society that's ever existed because of that resurrection, because of that proof, that final proof that they needed to put them over the hump that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And by living a life dedicated to him, they would have that opportunity to be raised from the dead as well. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians. Let's read something that Paul says there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. You see, these guys were walking in accordance with the commands of God they were pleasing him for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus for this is the will of God your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor not in passion of lust like the gentiles who do not know God that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to unclean us, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man but God. He who also has given us his Holy Spirit. You see, if these guys were just writing a bunch of junk, they sure were living pretty good for a lie, right? Something caused them to be transformed into these righteous, living, commandment followers. And that was that love for what Jesus Christ did for them and the, and the hope that they have to being raised from the dead. They suffered a lot of stuff. I'm not gonna read it, but you remember Paul, in Second Corinthians 11, talks about all the stuff that had happened to him. He was beaten like 50 times at one time. He was shipwrecked, put in prison. But he continued in the faith, he continued to live righteously, he continued to live according to the will of God. Why is that? Amazing, isn't it? Pretty powerful testimony, is it not? There's no motive other than this resurrection that can explain that. These apostles, several of them, not just one or two, were living a life with a hope of eternity because of that resurrection. Do you think these guys really would have done all that? You think Paul would have endured what he endured if he knew it was a lie? Something happened there and it was pretty powerful and it wasn't just one guy. So you can say, well, okay, either the New Testament is absolutely true or it's a desperately contrived lie. Turn over to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 15, let's read something there. 15, and let's begin in verse uh, 12. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not risen. And if Christ has not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For the dead do not rise, if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sin. Then also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. So what's Paul saying there? Look, I told you the truth. I mean, if if all this is a lie, I'm just a pitiable idiot. Do you think he would go around living his life like that? You ever told a lie? You might raise your hand. I'm not going to raise my hand. But you knew it was a lie, didn't you? It's not something you just kind of Oh I'm not sure this' is true. You knew it was a lie. If Paul's telling, teaching a false doctor, he knows it, he would know it. Absolutely. Why would he endure all the stuff he did for that? <clears throat> we cannot say this this might have been sincerely derived from some deluded idiots. can't say that. There's too many people. They claim to have seen and touched Jesus. They leave us no room saying that they may have been mistaken or deceived. Some sympathetic skeptics have tried to offer that maybe they were just so struck with grief that they were hallucinating that Jesus was risen from the dead. But as I said, 500 people or more all saw an hallucination, I mean, one person might see a hallucination, one person might see a vision, but several at one time, I don't think so. Jesus was witnessed by many, made sure of it. So you can say, after all the historical accuracy of the New Testament, after the Apostles' testimony, well, you've got to make a decision, really. You've got to say, is the New Testament true, or is it an extremely contrived lie? Pretty overwhelming evidence to say the first is true, right? Pretty overwhelming that this is real. Well, you can deny it all day long and all that stuff, but you gotta make a decision one way or the other on that. Implication of this evidence, what are we getting at here? You're forced to make a decision, that's what I'm saying. Concerning Jesus, we can't deny he lived much evidence therefore we must decide who he is and by the way if you hear somebody saying Jesus what they'll say is there's no archaeological record that Jesus existed right we can't we can't find uh, some you know some DNA I guess or whatever you know that we can dig up and prove it yeah but you can't prove that pretty much 99.999% of the people of that time existed archaeologically we know about it from history, from writings, from people that wrote stuff down. That's how we know. So we've got to decide who he is. Is he what, his followers claimed the Son of God? Or is the New Testament representation of him completely false? If you can look at the evidence as a historical document, we can't deny that uh, the overwhelming evidence that we read about, we talked about. Therefore, we must decide on that reliability. Will we accept it on the basis of historic documents, or is it false? Concerning the testimony of the apostles, right? We can't deny the testimony they gave because of that resurrection of Jesus. Therefore, we must decide whether their testimony is reliable. And as I said, the historical record is undisputed. It's true. Otherwise, they would have to be a whole bunch of charlatans who got together and colluded and said, okay, here's the story we're going to tell. Right? You ever seen those, a court show on TV, and you get how they, two guys go do something, and they arrest them, and they put them in separate rooms? Remember why they do that? So they can get this story and this story, and they're never going to be the same. Oh, even though they could collude for days. It's not going to be the same. You just can't do it. Unless you saw it with your own eyes, and it's true. It's a lot easier to tell the truth, right? How many times have you told your kids that? It's a lot easier to tell the truth than it is to tell a lie. They would have had to collude and got the story the same. All these guys preaching Jesus, exactly the same way, exactly the same commands exactly the same doctrine. We have to decide whether their testimony is reliable. We have to decide whether the New Testament is true or a contrived lie. If we decide the New Testament is a lie, we have to concede that a book with the world's highest standard of morality was composed by a group of liars, frauds, and cheats. Well, no book contains a higher standard of love and morality, right? Think about the Sermon on the Mount. Think about Paul's discourse on love in 1 Corinthians 12, or 1 Corinthians 13. You ever read a book that talks more about love than that? You read a lot of books about love these days, but not true agape love, right? You would have to concede a book with overwhelming evidence has a historic document was carefully put together by all these guys to deceive. All these historical names and places and events would have been carefully intertwined with lies, as I mentioned. They would have had to been put together by all these people to say this big lie. All right. So, if we decide that testimony of the New Testament is historically true. That everything Jesus taught is true including his (coughs) implicit and explicit testimony to the reality of creation hmm wait a minute we're doing a study on creation here right I just showed you all the stuff about how we can prove the New Testament is true how you can prove Jesus lived how we can rely on the Apostle's testimony to get to this point <laughs> and class is almost over turn to mark chapter 10 let's read something there you're probably saying well, when are you gonna to get to the point of creation well I'm doing it now mark chapter 10 <laughs> let's just start with verse 1 then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan and multitudes gathered to him again and as he was accustomed He taught them again the Pharisees came and asked him is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife testing him and he answered and said to them what did Moses command you they said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her and Jesus answered and said to them because of the hardness of your hearts he wrote you this precept but from from the beginning of the creation God made them male and female for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and he join to his wife and the two shall become one flesh and so when they are no longer two but one flesh, therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now we're, he's explaining Moses' divorce decree, but he says, but from the beginning of creation, it's been this way. Total chapter 13. <clears throat> chapter 13, beginning in verse 9. But watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to counsels. And you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. For whoever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now, brother, will play brother to death and father to his child. And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by uh, all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, this prophet standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And did I get the wrong? No, I'm getting there. Okay. <laughs> flee to the mountains. Let him know. Let him who is on the house top not go down to the house nor enter to take anything out of the house, and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But what are those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days? And pray that your flight may not be in the winter. For in those days there will be tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. You see, if Jesus lived, if Jesus is the Son of God, which we can read about in the New Testament, which we can prove historically existed, is written by men who are witnesses to his life, we can prove that God created the heavens and the earth. He just said it. What else can you say, really? We know it's true. Can't dispute it. Can't rebuke it. These guys saw him after he was raised from the dead. This guy told us that God created the heavens and the universe. Pretty simple statement, right? But it's true. Okay. Next week, we're going to get into the days of creation. I know I told you we're going to do that eventually, and we're going to. But this is a powerful account, I think, a really powerful way that you can say, God created the world.